It is good that God has permitted us, and I'm sure we're each thankful for the opportunity that's been given to us to assemble, to meet this evening in the name of the great God of heaven, and with a sincere interest and desire of heart to simply carry out the service and worship in the way that does magnify, exalt, and honor His name. It's so good that we are able to assemble in the friendly and warm confines in which we are, and appreciate that God certainly has been very bountiful and very generous to each of us this evening. As usual, we not only have our regular membership in good number, but many visitors are continuing to come and be with us. And our sincere desire in for every instance is for all of us, member and visitor alike at this point, to be able to feel good after having left that we can say we've worshipped in accordance to the rightly divided Word of God. We come tonight to the sixth installment in our series of lessons dealing with the Bible and physics. And all the while, our interest in that series has simply been somewhat that might be summarized by some of those very brief comments. Our interest has not been a scientific exposition per se. Our interest has been to allow the Word of God to be our guide. For just as surely as the sacred scriptures remind us, Thy Word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The famous refrain of Psalm 119 verse 160 it is then the case that during this series we've been reminded that the Bible is always correct. At this point, there's not a single fact of science known to be in disharmony with the sacred scriptures. Now, it is true that there are many philosophies in science, models in science, proclamations in science that differ from the Bible. But in terms of the tested, experimentally known facts, all of them are in agreement with the sacred text of the Bible. That should be a great matter of comfort to each of us, especially when we remember that some of those scientific statements of the Bible were written hundreds if not thousands of years before scientists by their own discovered them. It is in that regard we've been reminded of things in the oceans. I've tried to summarize some of them, the properties of water, the oceanic matters related thereto, circumstances in terms of the wind and the movement of the air. The Bible had that right all along. We also learned about the treasures of the snow, the characteristics of atoms, thermodynamics even, the marvelous wonder of design as you and I appreciate and see it. All of it testifies that the God wrote this book. We as scientists and those who appreciate it today are just blessed with the opportunity to appreciate that degree of harmony. It is tonight though that we come, as you'll see near the bottom of that slide, to arguably the most basic and central feature of all of scientific evolution. Whether it be Big Bang cosmology, whether it be the artifacts of organic evolution, all of it rests upon what scientists tell us is an old, old, old universe. The currently accepted scientific model is that the universe is about 14 billion years old, and that's with a B. And I say that very loudly, if you please, so that we can appreciate the gigantic distinction between what science affirms on this point and, as we shall see tonight, what the Bible testifies about it. At this point, might we not easily appreciate that on the one hand, science claims a very ancient and old universe, but as we shall see shortly, the Bible has a very, very different age for this universe as she now exists. It is with that in mind that the first two elements of the lesson tonight highlight these two points in rapid order. The first one is this one. 
As we turn back to the sacred pages of the Word of God, we learn something very dramatic and something very strong. And that is the fact that God's creation took place over a brief period of time. If I might take just a moment and insert what science tells us again, science tells us that approximately 14 billion years ago there was a bang and into existence came matter and energy as we know it. And over the next period of millions and even into the billions of years, that matter organized itself by virtue of principles and forces in physics. And ultimately it now presents itself as this arranged universe that we now see. You'll notice though that I have at the very top of that slide, God's creation, brief. You'll notice I just said, according to science, it has taken billions of years for the order to take the place that it now does. Look back to what the Bible has to say about this. It was read just a moment ago from Exodus chapter 20 that as God gave instruction to the children of Israel concerning those that you and I would call the Ten Commandments, when He came to the fourth of those Ten Commandments, He said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in His description of that fourth of the Ten Commandments, He went on to identify and describe this is the reasoning behind it. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but in the seventh day thou shalt rest, for it is the Sabbath of the Lord. And then verse number 11 is the one that was just read for us by Lucas a moment ago. In that verse it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in the is. In six days... All of this that is now observed and seen, the inspired text says, was formed and made. He did it in six days. There isn't one of us that would doubt God could have done it in any length of time He so chose. Be it six seconds, six thousand years, six millennia, it makes no difference. But He chose to organize and create over a period of six days. You'll notice very quickly that that is so different from what modern science has to say. The Bible says it was fashioned in six days. Modern science says it took far, far longer than that. You and I, without question, will take our stand with the Holy Bible. And we will rest the fullness of our life here and all of eternity on the truth contained therein. But the sacred text says six days. Now, it's quick to note that there are many who easily appreciate that proclamation of six days, and yet they have a desire to hold the Bible in one hand and a science textbook in the other. And so they wiggle out of this by saying that those days were long eras, long epochs, long intervals of time. You'll notice that God won't permit that. For after all, we notice something very quick. Here, the sacred text simply says six days, but when we revisit Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we find that those days are therein identified and defined. You'll notice very easily. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Genesis 1, verses 3 through 5. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Genesis 1, verse 8. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Genesis 1, 13. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day and the fifth day, and even the sixth day in verse 31. In each instance, those days are identified as having an evening followed by a morning. May I submit to you there isn't anything different about the days we appreciate today. They have an evening and a morning. 
It's still true, you see, that those days, as you and I appreciate them there, are exactly the same duration and length as are the days that you and I understand today. God fashioned this universe in six days of length comparable to the very days you and I now appreciate. And that settles it. You and I, though, know again that that's far different and far removed from what our scientific friends will often tell us. Look at some of the additional matters we might appreciate. In Psalm 19.1, that famous refrain, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. When you and I peer out into the heavens and observe those stars, and quite often they are fascinating, we ought always remember that it is God that made them, and that He did it so very quickly. In fact, all of them appeared even in less than the six days. For He did various things on each one of the six days, didn't He? When we appreciate the nature of those days and the characteristic that God fashioned this universe over a brief interval of time, we notice that that's not just an arbitrary issue. Perhaps you've had discussions with some who say, but what difference does it make how long it took God to do it? Is that really a matter over which we should have contentions and discussions and even disagreements with others? Does it really matter? May I submit to you that if we are willing to call into question the proclamations on that point, why not call into question the proclamations on any other verse, any other placement, even in regard to the plan of salvation, even in regard to the basic nature of the church? God said what He meant, and He meant what He said. And so it was in six days that God fashioned this, but the next most notable question has to be this. If that is in disagreement, with what the modern scientists would often tell us. The next matter must also come before us with great interest. How long ago did God do this? Again, our science friends often tell us about 14 billion years ago or so. You and I know that now it was in six days He did this, but how long ago was it? You'll notice the last word in that opening statement on that slide or the last point in the title is the word recent. It wasn't, as you and I shall shortly see, it wasn't nearly as long ago as many would like to lead us to think it was. After all, let's look exactly at what the sacred text does tell us about all of this. When did the creation take place? How long ago was it? A hundred thousand years? Five million years ago? 13 billion years ago or somewhere close to what our friends in science may tell us? I might submit that for many, many years, some perhaps were of the opinion that the Bible doesn't really say. And you still will encounter from time to time those who say the Bible does not say how long ago the creation took place. I would beg to differ, and I believe all of us would. God has stored within the precious pages of His book how long ago He created this universe, and it wasn't nearly as long ago as 13 and a half or 14 billion years. As you'll notice near the top of that slide, several verses of Scripture converge to this conclusion. Let's start in Romans 1 verse 20. It is there that we read, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made 
even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. One of the things that you and I can conclude from Paul's inspired writing is this, that from the very beginning there has been the capability of appreciating and knowing that God made it. Now, if our evolution friends are right, and may I suggest they are not, but if they were right, the sun and the solar system and the universe at large evolved long, long before mankind did. In fact, so they say, man evolved only about 2 million years ago, and that big bang supposedly happened about 14 billion years ago. You see the difference? 2 million versus 14 billion. There's a gigantic difference in that time frame. But Paul said, you'll notice that from the very beginning, there has been the capability in the human family to appreciate, to observe, to witness, and to understand. And you'll note Paul said, they are without excuse. Any person so blinded and so unwilling to confess and admit and honor the God of heaven by His creation, Paul says they have no excuse. They're going to have to stand in judgment one day before the very God they don't believe exists or the very one who created all of this and they've been unwilling to honor Him in it. How tragic. Revelation 4 verses, 11, verses 10 and 11 still remind us that holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You'll notice that next verse goes on to identify that because of His creation and because the fingerprints of all of His creation testify to His existence, man indeed has no excuse. You'll notice following that though, some of these points from Genesis chapter 1 quickly come before us. If you and I ask the question this way, how is the age of mankind related to the age of planet Earth? All of us as Bible students know the answer to that. We remember that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1 verse 1. And we notice in those successive intervals, periods, as we've noted earlier, light, the firmament, the other various things came into being. When did man come along? Day 6. And so you'll notice that the earth itself is only five days older than mankind. Man has been here virtually from the very beginning. It's not the case that the earth existed millions and yea, even billions of years and there was no human beings here upon it, although science tells us that happened. In fact, you'll notice one other conclusion about that point. Not only is it the case that humans have been here all that while, Look at some of these statements that Jesus made. In Mark 10, verse number 6, as our Lord was addressing the very subject on that occasion of divorce and remarriage, it was in that very discussion that He threw in this nugget of truth that is so very telling. He said, from the beginning, God made them, male and female, from the very beginning of the creation. Now what does that indicate here as he was discussing man and woman? He said, they were made from the very beginning, male and female. Those are the words Jesus used from the beginning. Notice, he didn't say a few million or a few billion years after the beginning. He said from the very beginning they have been here. In Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3, Jesus again addressing that same point. In that occasion... The inspired writer Matthew recorded it this way. 
when they ask him about the nature, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus first said, have you not read that he at the beginning made them male and female? At the beginning? That's what Jesus said. You'll notice the Lord traced the human family back to the very character at the beginning. They didn't evolve millions or many billions of years later. They didn't come along as some Johnny come lately, if you'll allow me to use that phrase. They have been here, the human family, from the very beginning. No wonder then as we read the Old Testament and even New Testament references, we're reminded time and again of the character that the following things on that slide then become extraordinarily pertinent. If it's true that man is only five days younger than earth, then if you and I, by the study of the Bible, can determine how long man has been here, we will be within five days of how old earth is. Five days. And so the question, how long has man been here? That answer is easy. Because God has told us. After all, from our present vantage point, how long has it been until Jesus was here? How many years elapsed from the time the Lord walked upon this earth until today? That's trivial to answer. Even a young schoolboy or girl could answer that because our calendars tell us. This is the year 2012, and you'll notice it's A.D. That A.D. means Anno Domini, which comes from the Latin and means in the year of our Lord. Roughly 2,000 years since Jesus walked the plains of this earth until now. Second question, how long has it been since Jesus was here back to Abraham? Can we piece that amount together? Again, that's easy. Not hard at all. The Old Testament provides that chronology for us. Have you ever noticed that there are certain passages in the Old Testament that tell us chronological information? One piece is found in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, when we are told that 480 years passed between the time Solomon built the temple and the time the children of Israel left Egypt. All we have to do then is look at those passages, add together the numbers, and we get about 2,000 years. And so it was that 2,000 years elapsed from Abraham to Jesus, and about 2,000 years have elapsed from Jesus until now. That gets us to 4,000 from Abraham until now. The only thing left is, what about from Abraham back to the very first man? Who was the first man? 1 Corinthians 15.45 says Adam was the first man. So if you and I can ascertain the number of years from Adam to Abraham, we can add that to 4,000 and we will have within five days the age of this planet. Thankfully, all that information is in the Bible. You might notice, though, that there would be no hope of ultimately finding that out any other way because of the flood waters. When those waters of the days of Noah covered this earth, they would have destroyed the records. But God preserved it for us. In Genesis chapter 5 and in Genesis chapter 11, we have two lengthy chronological lists. And those chronological lists also provide genealogical information because they tell us the age of the father when his son was born. All we have to do is add the numbers together in those two genealogical lists and we've got it. How long it was from Adam to Abraham? The answer, about 2,000 years. 
So 2,000 plus 4,000 yields a rough estimate to the age of this planet at 6,000 years. And that's about it. The Bible will not allow us to go much beyond that number for the age of this planet and the age which the human family has been on this earth. You'll notice as you come near the bottom of that slide, that's so different from what our science friends sometimes tell us. They again tell us that man came along recently. The earth evolved a long time ago. So much so that less than 0.05% of the entirety of earth's history, so they say, man has been here. That's nonsense. Man has been here five days from the very beginning. It is with that in mind we've learned then two valiant lessons. First, God's creation was brief and secondly was recent. Beyond that though, you might ask this. If it's true that God's creation was recent and if it's true it was brief, you would think there would be scientific evidences to that fact. Are there things in the scientific world around us that really show us that it has been a recent creation and furthermore that it happened briefly? I have only chosen five evidences. Many, many more might have been listed, but I would just invite you to think with me about these five. First of all, there are those astronomical objects known as comets. They revolve around the sun, at least those in our near solar system. Some others are found elsewhere, but the point is these are objects that revolve just like the planets do, but they're much, much smaller. In fact, many of them are exceedingly tiny, at least in comparison to a planet. Question, if this universe is old, and if these comets have been revolving around the sun for millions and millions of years, and they're already small, should they not have been eaten up a long time ago? Should they not have disintegrated long, long before now? And yet they are still capable of being studied? They're still easily observable in the sky with sometimes even moderate telescopes. And from time to time we are, are blessed with the reappearance of perhaps the most famous of all, Halley's Comet. May I submit to you, if they're already as small as they are, and each time they revolve around the sun, some of the comet vaporizes and some of its mass is lost. If this universe is old, there ought to be virtually no comets left. That's very different from what we observe, isn't it? But may I say that if the universe is young, if it really is only 6,000 or so years old, then it's not shocking, it's not surprising that there are still comets. And so the fact that we see them and observe them and our youngsters are allowed to study them should remind us this universe really is, re is young. It isn't nearly as old as our astronomy friends sometimes tell us. What about another evidence that the universe is young? Many of the planets in our solar system have rings. Saturn's is the most famous. If you've ever looked at pictures of those rings, they truly are spectacular. Saturn isn't the only planet that has those rings. Neptune has rings. Uranus has rings as well. And to some extent, so do to some of the other planets. But, may I ask, given what we know about those rings, the particles that comprise them, if the universe were old like some are willing to say, should there be any more of these rings? The gravitational forces between the mass particles ought to have coalesced those particles, and in fact the particles ought to have already been attracted to their planets long before now. 
there shouldn't even be any rings. Or if they are, they should be thick and broad. And yet some of those rings of Saturn are small, they're nebulous, but they're still distinct. The existence of those rings, might I submit to you, still reminds us the universe is young. Not nearly as old as our astronomy friends would lead us to believe. A third example would be the magnetic fields that exist among the planets. Even Earth has a magnetic field. It's extremely strong, in fact. It's a part of God's creation, and we should be thankful for it. That magnetic field protects us from things that take place in the distant recesses of the cosmos. You'll notice that that field protects us, but might I ask this? It is known that the magnetic fields of the planets are diminishing. Each year the fields are getting less and less. Question. If the universe is as old as our astronomy friends might tell us, why is it there are any magnetic fields left? Why haven't they diminished to nothingness virtually by now? You'll notice again those fields are fairly strong still, but nonetheless diminishing a constant reminder, if you please, that this universe is still rather young. In the fourth place, yet another feature that we might also observe in passing Another evidence in regard to the things that we're discussing. I would invite you to think with me just for a moment about something that's so very common, at least in this part of the world. We know a great deal about erosion. When the rain pour, when the rain comes in large amounts like it did not too many days back, and like it did in the summer of 2010, not too long ago, we can see large amounts of erosion that takes place. Sometimes large trees, but a great amount of dirt and rock is moved by the force and power of the water. May I submit to you, think just a moment. Each and every second, the Mississippi River is dumping eroded dirt and rock into the Caribbean Sea. May I ask, if the earth is old, and if that erosion and the process of the water carrying all of that into the sea has been happening for millions of years... Shouldn't the sea have filled up by now? And what about the Amazon River that in fact carries the largest amount of silt and erosion of any river in the world? Should you notice various deltas have not since long filled in if the universe was old? You'll notice that all that erosion that does take place, yet the sea's not full. Yet the various deltas around the world are not full. Isn't that initial and strong evidence that the universe isn't nearly as old as some might lead us to believe? Or look at another example. What about Niagara Falls? Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've seen it. Each and every moment, think about the thousands and thousands of gallons of water that pour over Niagara Falls. And it's well known that each and every year the falls are eroded back by a few feet. If the universe were millions and billions of years old and that erosion has been taking place, I might suggest to you that Niagara Falls ought to be eroded all the way back basically to the Atlantic Ocean by now. There ought not be any Niagara Falls. But yet the fact the falls still exist and the fact that it's well known the rate at which that erosion is progressing, all one has to do basically is observe this universe is young. Not nearly the age of 14 or so billion years. As you think about Niagara Falls and a number of the other things I've written on that slide for your consideration, 
erosion leads us to one more thing. I chose only five, but I thought this last one would at least be worthwhile to consider in passing. It takes us back to physics yet one more time. Carbon-14. We understand from our knowledge of biology that carbon is very, very vital to life. The atomic structure of carbon is what allows you and me to live as we do. It's what allows our body to operate in the ways that God has designed it. The element carbon is very special. I would invite you, though, to notice that carbon does come in a variety of forms. The most common is carbon-12, but another is carbon-14. The interesting thing about that is we as scientists know a great deal about carbon-14. We know, for example, that it has a half-life. It's radioactive, but its half-life is well known to be 5,730 years. That's it, 5,730 years. Isn't it interesting then when an archaeologist or when some other scientist digs up a bone or digs up an ancient fossilized tree, we can take a sample of that and measure the amount of carbon-14 in it or a yay and compare it to the amount of carbon-12. In so doing, you can roughly estimate the age of that object. Every reputable discussion of those ages always converges to a date that's not at all in disharmony with the Bible. None of them give you ages, at least trustworthy ages, that are long periods of time. Isn't it interesting that in the very artifact of God's carbon-14 matter, we are led to see some of these interesting features. I have these ideas for you. Those geologic layers upon earth, the very last point on that slide, you'll notice that if our evolution friends were true, we should be able to dig deeper down in those geologic layers, and if the earth is old, we should find varying amounts of carbon-14 in those particular layers corresponding to ages. That's not what you find. You, in fact, find something that corresponds to this. You find absolutely no abundance of these elements in, in deep layers of the earth. It's not there at all. But you'll notice I said 5,730 years, so that would mean if all of it's decayed, that would mean the earth can't be very old. Isn't it interesting then that we see another evidence that reminds us that God created our universe briefly and recently. Those two things perhaps we might use to summarize the lesson as follows. On the very last slide, it has been our design and aim in this lesson to at least think briefly about the creation and observe that it took place powerfully just as the Bible described, but that means it was recently and that means it was briefly. Although we certainly appreciate the findings of science, we must disagree strongly with those who claim that it's happened over billions of years and that it happened that long ago, for it hasn't. In six days the Lord God made earth, the sea, and heaven, and all that in them is, Exodus 20.11. And you'll notice again that that was at the beginning. This very evening, may our faith be founded upon a thus saith the Lord, and may our faith be founded on the firmness and thoroughness of all that the Bible has revealed, appreciating that the Word of God is the truth. No wonder Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. This very night, as we then conclude our lesson,
May I invite us to analyze and carefully consider where each of us stand before the very God who made all this universe and everything in it. Is all well with your soul this evening? If it isn't, then don't delay. Don't put off another day responding to the gospel invitation. It might be that as an alien sinner, you've never yet rendered initial obedience to the truth of God in that regard. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of the sins in your life, Luke 13, 5. Confess His name as the Son of God, Romans 10, verse 10. And be baptized, Acts 2, verse 38. And if we could assist you in that tonight, it would be a great day of rejoicing for you as well as for us. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, having been baptized into that body, but since that time you've allowed the tempter to lead you into pathways that are no longer good. You've strayed from the side of faithfulness. Come back to your first love tonight, won't you? Jesus is waiting and pleading for you to return. He hasn't given up on you. Have you given up on Him? In Acts the 8th chapter, Simon, in fact, urged Peter, pray that this wickedness not come up over me. We too will be happy to pray as well for you this very evening. If we could be of assistance to you in that regard tonight, we'd be honored to do so. A hymn has been chosen, a hymn of invitation. And if you need our services at this particular moment in time, won't you come? Well, together we stand and while we sing.